today, which begins essentially after the sermon here. It will be up in the youth room, which is on the second floor by middle building. <coughs> in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. gives us an epistle about love and a gospel that contains a prophecy of the cross. And these are aptly paired to prepare us for Lent. When Jesus said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man should be accomplished, he was prophesying the ultimate act of love. And this sets the table for our own practice of Lent. Lent begins this Wednesday. In Lent, we go up to Jerusalem with Jesus. We adopt various spiritual disciplines with the goal of growing in our own ability to love in the way that Christ loves. Fasting, which is a focus of Lent, merely seeks to remove from our lives the obstacles to love. We are too attached to things. And so we fast. We remove things from our lives in order to detach our affections from them. And we replace those things we remove with a greater devotion to prayer so we might open new doors for God to come into our lives so we might grow in our ability to love. In both the Collect and the Epistle today, the word love is translated as charity. And this has a history. In our epistle, the word, the Greek word that is translated as charity is agape. And that word agape, when it got translated by the early church into Latin, into Latin became caritas. And when it got translated into English around the Reformation period, Caritas became charity. And even though the, the more skilled of the English translators were translating from the original Greek, they were looking at agape rather than caritas, caritas or charity had developed a, a currency as one of the three theological virtues that are mentioned in this epistle, faith, hope, charity. And so the English translators retained the use of the word charity, distinguish it as one of the three, three theological virtues. And though it sounds to us at first hearing a little bit archaic, there is, I believe, a case to be made for retaining the use of the word charity, or perhaps even for always translating this word as agape. This distinguishes it from other kinds of love. There are other kinds of love that everyone can experience in life. There is friendship, there is family, bonds, there is erotic love. These are all loves that all people can experience in different ways and at different levels. And today when people talk about love, most often their idea of love is filled with a great sense of sentimentality, that is, feelings of love about something, attachment to something. And these are distinguished from Agape, caritas, charity, which is the love that we can only experience in relationship to God. These other lesser loves or different loves can be raised up by God's love so that they 
come to reflect agape, but there is a form of them that people regularly experience does not necessarily include the love that comes from God. So, this is, this is a reason to retain this, this, this meaning of the word, and we can distinguish the love that comes from God from other kinds of love by looking at the epistle today. The epistle tells us that love is patient and kind, that it suffers long, doesn't envy, that it never fails. And when we look at characteristic human love, we see that very seldom is the love we experience in everyday life a, a disinterested concern for the good of the other. And the love we experience in regular life fails all the time. This agape caritas charity can only be experienced in relationship to God. And it is our characteristic experience as the body of Christ. It's what we experience in relationship to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. In relationship to God, we experience God's love first as a power that reveals to us our sin, our characteristic human weakness. This is why our liturgy begins with the reading of the law to highlight for us what is amiss in our lives. <clears throat> Having revealed to us our sin and led us to sorrow and confession, God then forgives us. And then God washes away our sin. And then God gives us the grace to live in a new way. And as we begin to live in the love of God, we see how God, God's love enables us to participate in his new creation. God is continually bringing his order and beauty out of our chaos, out of our fallenness, out of our weakness. No merely human agent can love us this way. No human agent can forgive us our sins. I mean, our friends can forgive us the small wrongs we've done, but they can't really handle the cosmic separation between ourselves and God. No uh, human agent can wash us of our sins. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. No human agent can enable us to rise above our natural weakness so that we can do the will of God. Only grace that comes from God can rise us above our natural state. No human agent can exercise sovereign control of our lives so that all things in them work together for the good. We can only experience this love in relationship to God. Now when I say no human agent can do that, I mean that no human agent operating apart from relationship to God. We are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a member of the body of Christ. And through the gift of the Spirit we have been given, we each have been given spiritual gifts. And as we interact with each other in the body of Christ, and as we are motivated by the love that comes from God, we do love each other with agape. And this is uh, essential to our vocation. We can't experience that love that comes from God except in connection to other people who represent God. As, as Romans says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, the Holy Spirit that was given to us. 
the point of the epistle is that our practice of our spiritual gifts, our service to each other, must remain rooted in this love that comes from God, must continue to be motivated by charity, or else uh, what we do digresses into something else. So St. Paul says in the epistle, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have all knowledge, know all prophecy, but have not charity, I am nothing. And though I have all faith, so I could actually move mountains, but have not charity, I am nothing. And then, though I give all my goods to feed the poor, and give my body to be burned, presumably as a martyr, not just going and jumping in a fire somewhere, um, though, though we pr perform heroic acts of sacrifice, but if those acts are not motivated by the love that comes from God, St. Paul says, it doesn't profit us anything. So we can see that the epistle exists as a kind of warning that we can do great religious things, actions, but if they're not deeply rooted in the love that comes from God, we might ask ourselves, why are we doing this? And this is really the, the purpose of Lent, therefore, and the focus of the spiritual life is not really to do things, but to purify our motives. The central question of our faith is not merely what we are doing, but why we are doing it. Now, what we are doing is important. You can have a couple of different errors in the spiritual life. You can have the right motive, and you can be lazy, and nothing gets done. But you can also be very busy running around doing good works and have hidden motives that, that render what you do uh, in, the, in, the, in the language of our epistle worth, worth nothing. Now, if we're honest about ourselves, we realize that all of us have flawed motives. Remember one director of one charity who said, if we waited for people with perfect motives to come, we'd never get any work done. We are not yet perfected in love, but we're learning how to love. We're growing in love, and that's the essential purpose of the church to learn how to love, and, and we can only do this in relationship to other people in real time, people who aggravate us whom we must forgive, people who are hard to love whom we must love anyway. And I always remember when we're thinking about this, other people think that about us. So it always goes both ways. We ask not just what are we doing, but, but why are we doing it, and, and we we grow in this motive, and so Lent's an opportunity to ask ourselves to shine a little clearer light on our motives. Why do we do what we do? Sometimes we think, oh, I'm just being selfless. In fact, we may have a great need to be needed, need to be recognized. This needs to, Lent's an opportunity to bring this out and purify our, our motives so that we might love more fully. Lent, because of this reality, this need for what we do to be rooted in charity, Lent is a season of danger and opportunity. It's, it's a danger for us religiously if we see it as a season merely to try to follow a list of rules on a merely human level. 
It's a season of opportunity if we see it as a, as a time to go up to Jerusalem with Jesus, to adopt disciplines with the goal of growing in love. And the essential transformation of our lives that, that Lent calls us to, the Christian life calls us to, and Lent is nothing more than a concentrated course in the Christian life. We, we focus more fully for a season preparing for Easter on the things which are always the, the, the proper focus of faith. But the essential transformation on a natural level, what we tend to do is to begin with labor. We rush into doing, become busy. We run around trying to do things. And then we come to God and ask him to clean up the mess. And then we go do it again. The essential transformation that Lent and the life of prayer calls us to is that we, we come to God first. Unless what we do is deeply rooted in our prayer, what we do will not come to reflect agape. So the pattern Lent calls us to is to begin our lives in prayer, to begin our lives at the altar with the reception of sacramental grace to begin our daily lives in prayer. And as what we do becomes the fruit of our prayer, what we do more and more comes to reflect agape, comes to be an outgrowth of our relationship with God. We can't give to anybody else what we ourselves are not experiencing. So unless we live in this relationship of grace, where we are experiencing regularly, the conviction of our sins, the reality of forgiveness, the gift of new strength, and the ability to live in new ways, we cannot, with our gifts, help others along that path. If we're just running on a treadmill trying to live really good lives that we can't quite reach, that's all we'll ever be able to do for anyone else, is help them do that same thing. So this is why Lent is about prayer. And fasting is not really about self-control or overcoming some bad habit. Fasting is really about prayer. If we detach from things that might be idols, the purpose of that fasting is to open our lives to God through prayer in some way so that we might draw closer to Him. And as we draw closer to Him and experience God's presence in our lives more fully, then our behavior the way we act at work, at home, and other places will come to more fully reflect that love that we ourselves are experiencing. So as we look to begin the season of Lent in a couple of days, think about that as, as you think about what you're going to do. It's not a matter of, of trying to heroically observe religious rules. It's a matter of what is in your life that needs to change to open up new doors for the Holy Spirit to come in through. How you need to reorder your life so it's more deeply rooted in your prayer and what you do comes to reflect this relationship with God. We pray as we uh, do and did in our college today. Oh God who has taught us that all our doings without charity are nothing worth. Send thy Holy Ghost and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues without which 
whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.